Hi, this is Danielle Krusev from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 176 of Art for Your Ear. Today's episode is supported by Thrive Art Studio and their fabulous online network. I've talked about it before. It's sort of like a Facebook group for artists without being Facebook. It is very handy right now, what with a worldwide lockdown underway. Um, So here's the rundown. The Thrive Network is a positive and supportive space on the internet where you can connect with other female and female-identifying artists to ask questions, share insights, or access vetted resources. Speaking of resources, they have created an entire resource library um, made up of the most asked questions and concerns that have come up over the last almost six years that they've been running Thrive. There's info about pricing your work, selling, how to write an artist statement, um, how to revamp your website, all of the things that come up over and over and over as we're all trying to do this thing. They've also just finished creating a resource-filled guide to help during the next couple of weeks, months, however long that this is lasting. Um, So check that out. A membership to the Thrive Network is only $25 a month. And if you want to try it first, you can for free. Yep, they are offering a free week-long trial. So you can just head over to thriveartstudio.com slash network. That's thriveartstudio.com, all one word, dot com slash network. So today's guest was on the podcast for the first time almost five years ago. That was episode 30, and here we are at episode 176. <laughs> I'm a little less nervous this time, but I'll be honest, there's still quite a bit of fangirling going on over here. Wayne White is one of my favorite artists of all time, for a whole bunch of reasons. For starters, his word paintings on thrift shop landscapes are gorgeous and hilarious, a perfect combination in my opinion. Secondly, he was a set and puppet designer on Pee Wee's Playhouse in the 80s, which I'm very proud to say was part of my Saturday morning ritual throughout my high school years. Um, Ooh, and speaking of puppets, he's at it again. Yep, he's using this quarantine time to make puppet shows that he's been posting on Instagram, and they are weird and hilarious and oh so very Wayne White. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the next reason I love him so much Anytime I've asked him to do something with me, letting me interview him for my first book, Creative Block, years ago, or having him on the podcast when I was just starting to dip my toe into that world, he's always been kind and generous with his time and his information. And finally, the really, really, really big one, he got me making art again. Not just dabbling, but truly finding my way to do the work that I want to do the way I want to do it. I don't think he actually knows that, but right off the top today, I'm going to gush a little bit and tell him. He had two words for me, just two short, very impactful words (laughs) that squashed a long-held belief I'd allowed an old prof um, from art school to plant in my head decades ago. I've told this story before, and it's actually a huge part of the TED Talk I was supposed to have done in Nashville in March. They're rescheduling, so hopefully I'll still get to tell this story standing on that red dot on that big stage. But until then, I will tell the story here to the man himself. Ready? Calling Wayne White in L.A. Hi, Wayne. Hello. I'm so happy to have you back. That's nice to be back. Thanks for asking. You know, it was five years ago that you were on here. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? And I'm going to gush a little bit before we start. 
I think I've told you this in emails already, but do you know how pivotal that conversation was in my own art practice? Uh, I'm afraid I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I've kept that to myself. Well, I wrote a TED talk about it, but I, I haven't been yeah. able to give it yet. But um, yeah, it was so I was first of all, I was so nervous to have you on because, you know, I was fangirling. Um, and then one of the questions that I asked you was, um, how did you feel when the art world didn't love, you know, didn't think that you're, you, you know, you could be funny and make art. And um, you said, well, I'll just say, fuck it. <laughs> Which, there's some wisdom. There's yeah. some wisdom, right? And I thought, yeah, fuck it. And because I'd been told in art school, so many, many years ago, but I'd been told in art school, um, look, it's bad enough that you're a woman, um, but if you try and make humor-based art too, you'll really never be taken seriously. Cool, huh? Well, that, that's just like their opinion, man. <laughs> I know. But when when I was 20 years old and your your teacher, who you believe, is telling you, yeah. you need to strip this away if you want to be taken seriously, I was like, oh, okay. So, but yeah. I'm a hilarious person. And so I tried to cut being hilarious out of my work. And uh, anyway, having that conversation with you and you just simply saying, fuck it, um, that like a week later, I decided to just make the art I wanted to make and just have fun. And I was in the studio for eight hours the first day, laughing out loud alone by like, like a crazy person. And it was the first, I think I was 42. It was the first time I had had fun making art since I was 17 years old. Wow. Well, I'm glad I could, um, help you get there, I guess. I wow. know. Just those That's... two wise words. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was you. It wasn't me. You just needed somebody, anybody to tell you. I just happened to be there. So anyway, I'm glad you discovered that. Me too. See, now you're my Mrs. Stoddard. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Um, so I'm, we're going to talk all about everything that you're doing now and um, how you're handling, you know, global pandemics and stuff. Um, but because it's been five years and I love your story so, so much. And um, I just thought for people that haven't heard the first episode, if we could just go back and talk about um, little Wayne, well, not Lil Wayne, little Wayne, um, what you were like <laughs> as um, as a kid. And um, if you were making art then and, and yeah, what were you like? I know the answers, but I just like the, these stories. Well, I'm, I'm from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I was born in 1957, and I grew up in a very conservative world. I grew up in a little town called Hickson, just north of Chattanooga, which later became sort of a suburb, but it was a, kind of rural when I lived there. And um, like I said, it was a very conservative time, especially in the South through the 60s and 70s. So I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by anything like an art world or a culture of, of museums and galleries and stuff. Like most kids, I was raised on, you know, television and comic books, the typical American childhood. My mother was, uh, had artistic, uh, leanings. She loved to, uh, uh decorate, 
and, and she went to the antique stores a lot. So that was my sense of aesthetic. She at least she had an eye for objects. So I inherited that kind of sensitivity for objects and 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 uh, tasteful stuff. You know, she had a pretty good taste. So I guess that was the artistic side of the family. But everything else was sports and religion. My 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 parents weren't religious, but we were definitely in the Bible Belt. And the only um, the only acceptable thing for a boy was to play sports. So that was, you know, that was, you know, uh, I was stuck in that. And, and, did, I, and I, did you play sports? I did play sports and I went along with it. What, you know, I, I thought that was the whole world. and But I was always, I could draw. I always loved to draw. And I, the, my earliest memories are drawing and showing off and drawing and showing adults my drawings and getting acceptance and attention from that. And that's very powerful. And my parents encouraged it. They could see I had talent. And I was always the artist of the school. Mm -hmm. uh, but my own family, we were lower middle class, blue collar. My father worked at the DuPont nylon factory. And uh, so, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't like there was any cult uh, artist, you know, picture making culture around me. But I loved making pictures and drawing, and that was my thing. And I was the artist in the school from first grade to twelfth grade, and <laughs> that's all I ever wanted to be. Other than that, you know, I thought I was going to play sports there. Well, that's you know? what I was going to ask. Like before, you realized, you know, that you could be an artist. Do you have memories of like thinking what you would be when you grew up? I had, like every little boy, I had fantasies of playing sports and being a sports hero. I was a sports fan. And then baseball, or what did you play? Baseball. Yeah. And we played everything in the neighborhood, but uh, I was best at baseball, but I was not very good. <laughs> and uh, I was just mediocre at best. I played and. Our little league was called Dixie Youth. Isn't that uh, scary? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! We had the Rebel battle flag as a patch on our on our shoulders. Oh Dixie my, Youth. Oh my god! I mean, I was that was it. That was it. If you were a boy, but I could draw, and people like it. People like uh, drawing. It's one of the great human tricks. Everybody <laughs> responds to it if you can do it. So. I, I carved my identity mostly from that. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. So the, it all began with drawing and it's still all about drawing with me. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I sort of tossed her name out there already, Mrs. Stoddard. Um, right. so this story, um, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this last time, but I want you to tell that story, but I have had, so many conversations with so many people, like I'm sure over a thousand people, um, about a teacher who either told them they could or they couldn't, and how powerful that is, right? Like, well, even me just saying that that yeah, teacher saying, you know, I, I shouldn't be funny, um, but the power of a teacher saying you can you can do it, you know, and um, and so I actually just wrote a kids book that's coming out in the fall that's exactly about that because. I had, I've had so many people, they were always six, seven, or eight years old. So you would have been six, right? Yeah. First grade. Yeah. Always. It's always those three ages, six, seven, or eight, where they were told they could or they couldn't. And, yeah. and it, it blazed the path or burned it down. Um, and so yours happened when you were six. So can you tell that story? Cause I just love it so much. 
yeah, like I said, I was the always the artist in the school, but that began in first grade and the second day of first grade. <laughs> uh, our first day there, she had told us, she handed out the manila paper and the crayons and said, draw your lunch. So I drew the lunch, aerial view, you know, sectioned plate, green beans, mashed potatoes, whatever. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it. We come back for the second day of school and uh, she pulls my drawing out and is holding it up in front of the class. It's just, you know, she's praising me and saying, you know, this young man is going to be an artist one day. And uh, I'm like, whoa, that's the first time I, I had, I didn't, I didn't go to kindergarten. Uh, so first grade was my first real intense society of kids and being outside of the home in the neighborhood. And it was very scary and, very challenging, and, and of course the the teacher was the authority of all authorities, and you know whatever she said was the truth. Yeah. And so <laughs> she said I was going to be an artist one day, and the the heavens opened up, and a beam of light went <laughs> down through the classroom window. <laughs> it hit me hard. She took me up in front of the class and put her hands on my shoulders <laughs> and said it again, and was praising me, and that from that's. From that uh, moment on in September of 1963, um, oh. that's all I've ever wanted to do. And that's what I was. And, and yeah, her, she convinced me of that. You know, it was like the voice of God or something. Yeah, I just that it gives me chills. Like I've heard it before. And, I, you know, it's in it's in your beautiful film. Beauty is embarrassing. And uh, oh, my God, when I first saw that and you know, you tell that story. I cried, I think, because I had, I mean, I was always praised growing up too, because that was my trick too. I could draw and, and then just to have it sort of stripped away by a different teacher later, like, and I've, I've yeah. thought about this so much that when I watched that film and that part, I was just like, <laughs> I was also on a plane. Apparently you cry easier on a plane. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I was a mess. And uh, yeah. And then well, I, I'm going to give away part of Beauty's Embarrassing. In So you tell the story at the beginning, but then what happens when you're on the road promoting, doing your show? Yeah, so... Where was that? That was in Chattanooga. Okay. There's a scene in the movie where I'm, I'm on the road and I'm, I'm actually promoting my book, the big coffee table book that came out in 2009, uh, the Todd Oldham design. It was a big, that was a big deal. <laughs> So I'm at a bookstore in Chattanooga for promoting the book, and Neil Berkeley, the director of the documentary, has been following me around for a few weeks. And he followed me to Chattanooga. And uh, Miss Stoddard, I hadn't seen her in, since I was a little baby, six, seven years old. And uh, she came to the book signing, and I didn't know or recognize her. And Neil captured the moment, and it's real, where she surprises me and, and tell, you know, she wants me to sign her book, and she, she uh, surprises me with that she's Miss Goddard. And it's, it's quite a, it, yeah, it's a real, real scene. A lot of, it gets a lot. I've gotten so many people telling me that scene blows them away. Yeah, I cried again. Cried yeah, again on the plane. That's the one scene that really grabs everybody. That's the one that most people uh, relate it, to or talk about when they talk about the movie to me. Yeah. It's <laughs> just such a cool moment. Didn't she say, can you please make it out to Miss Stoddard? 
something like that yeah oh and then just you realize like just like what worlds colliding like just pure magic to deflate that a little bit you know neil had me he set me up he you know he asked me a question and i'm riffing and i think i'm being brilliantly funny (laughs) you know i'm just talking away and i noticed this older lady standing at my shoulder and i keep i glance at her once (laughs) and she uh asked uh, could you sign this? And I almost said, uh, could you wait just a minute? <laughs> um, I'm pretty important. There's a film being made about me right now. Could you wait just a minute, old lady. I'm being brilliant here for the camera. I almost said that. Being, being a, could you imagine what an asshole? <laughs> cut. Uh, We're going to have to cut that part out. Oh, my God. So I'm so cool. glad I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too it's a much awesome. more magical moment that you didn't that do would that. have been a real larry david moment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> oh see okay so we i'm so happy i want mine we needed to lay all that foundation because um well it's just all my favorite parts of all of those stories all put together into one and has made again a huge impact on me because um you know, I only had the bad experience and then seeing that and being like, oh my gosh, like it really can pave the way or not. And, um, I've worked with lots of teachers. I've done lots of workshops with them and I always tell them like, you don't know how powerful you are. And yeah. I always tell your story as, as one of the good stories. And, um, the other story is a Canadian painter. Um, and of course I'm blanking on his name now, but he told me that when he was nine years old, he was moving from this tiny town to the big city. And uh, he was, you know, the art kid. And so the teacher gave him, as a going away gift, a real set of oil paints. Like, not kid paints, but like for real artists. And she said, you are going to be an artist and here's the real materials. And he said that was the end. He was like, okay, that's what I'm going to be. Yeah. No, teachers are so powerful in kids' lives, especially that age, first grade. Yeah. You are clay. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then the bad story that I always tell is um, a woman, I met her, she was probably in her 50s, mid-50s, and um, she had just started making art again. And the last time she'd really made art was the fourth grade. Um, And she had been that kid like us, like, you know, always, always drawing. And so the teacher had said it was a fourth grade assignment. They were all supposed to draw a bear. So all the kids drew a bear, you know, from the side or whatever. And she drew a bear walking away. So it was like just the bear's bum, Yeah. Um, which is like pretty clever, you know. And uh, the teacher came over and in front of the whole class, just like Miss Stoddard picked it up and in front of the whole class, she picked it up in front of the whole class, said it was wrong. Ripped it in half. Oh, man. Yeah. And um, she's, she said, I basically never made art again after that until she hit her 50s. How many traumatic life stories begin with in front of the whole class? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Sometimes it's really, pants getting it, pulled down. It, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's some of the most, it's the crucible of, of your childhood. That's those. true classes yeah it's true oh well I'm glad yours was good that, that was good well, um, that was. and so um so then you now you're going to be an artist um so you went off to art school where did you go I went to a state university I went to middle Tennessee State University only because uh, my sister went there and it was the easiest thing to do and I was I had no mentoring nobody 
advised me and there was nobody who believed in my talent. Uh, you know, I was kind of, no, there was nothing for me. My high school was not good. And, and I was just raring to get out of Chattanooga. So I just drifted up there because it was the easiest thing. But luckily for me, they had a pretty good art department and they had a, uh, they had a really strong painting department, sculpture department. And I took painting cause it was the closest thing to drawing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so, and, and then I, I loved painting and printmaking. Uh, I took clay, which was kind of a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I only took it cause I didn't, you had to take a sculpture class and I didn't want to weld. <laughs> So, um, and so did you, cause you do so much sculpture now. Did you do very much during school or no? I didn't because I didn't like the sculpture department all that much. The idea of carving blocks of wood mm. into Henry Moore, uh, Henry Moore biomorphic shapes that that was what they were doing. And I was right. like, yeah, that is Squaresville. I don't want to do that. Right. They wouldn't let you make puppets out of cardboard and stuff. No. Right. No, it was like, let's carve this block of maple into a vaguely humanoid shape. Mm, you know? No, no. Yeah. The really dull stuff. Clay, at least, you could kind of, I don't know. I related a little more to that, but I was horrible at that. <laughs> I didn't really get into sculpture. Well, my painting thing was, of course, very, very much a big influence on me. My teacher David Ledoux was an abstract expressionist and I got immersed in the idea of abstract painting and working in series and gesture and spontaneity and improvisation and that was all very important stuff I still use today and I love printmaking because that was pure drawing and I had a great printmaking drawing teacher named David Bigelow and uh, I learned a lot in drawing classes and printmaking classes about drawing and line, composition. So I had a, I had a good art education. I had a good art history teacher. I loved art history. Uh, I, I had a good four years there. Uh, the, my fellow students were interesting. Yeah, you had quite a good crew there, didn't you? Like you yeah. kind of found your people compared to high school. I did. It was the first yeah. time I've ever ran other artists, and uh, that was exciting. Plus, I was very competitive. I was just going to ask, like, did you feel insecure or did you feel like, no. get out of my way? No, I was <laughs> like, okay, who's who do I beat? That's always my attitude. Okay, who's <laughs> best? Okay, I'm coming for you. You know, what a, a, a jerk, really. You know, I learned all that from sports. I was just going to say, I think that might have been from your... <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like that. I, You know, I don't know. Well, but that's anyway, how you get where you're going, I guess. And so when you're taking those art classes, like when you're in school, were you thinking, uh, what am I going to do when I graduate? Like, how, how does this become a job? Or were you not worried about that? At that oh, stage? I was so naive and I was so excited to be around these other people and the parties. Were, we were having so much fun that I I was in, uh, I just compartmentalized. It was, it was like, I wasn't looking I was awesome. young. Yeah. You know, I was young and having fun and I wasn't thinking about tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I had the naive belief that, you know, I was just going to emerge from this school at 22 and be an artist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> very, very naive. 
I remember yeah. asking with um, like a semester left to go in my last year. Uh, so what do we do when we graduate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my the guy, the guy that told me that I couldn't be funny said, um, grad school. That's it. That's and I was what like, I what? <laughs> That's what I got. Grad school. You know, you didn't do you know, it. Like, did you? No, I didn't. No. But our fast track grad school at MTSU was university of Georgia at Athens. And it was tempting because that place was hopping in the late seventies. You know, that's where the B-52s and REM and Pylon and all these great bands were forming and happening. It was quite a scene. It was quite a youth paradise down there. And how come you didn't go? I didn't want to spend the money. Yeah. And I thought it was pointless. I definitely didn't want to wind up a teacher. Yeah, that's what he told me to be. He said to yeah. become a teacher. And I was like, but... If we all do that, won't there be no jobs? Like, And also, I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> it was too expensive and a waste of time, I thought. I, I didn't think it would get me anywhere, even though I was tempted to go down. I, I visited Athens during the middle of all that. It was just like, yeah, I can. But no, I didn't want to spend the money. And I, I was going to have to pay for it, too. Yeah. So, And so what did, I, was that when you went to New York? What did you do when you finished? Uh, I drifted again. My sister, she lived in Nashville. My big sister, who was always <laughs> way more responsible and level-headed than me. She's also kind of, she's like four years older. She lived in Nashville. And I thought, okay, I'll just drift off to Nashville now. You know, and yet she was only 20 miles down the road. So I drifted into Nashville and uh, I, I, I got a room in her house, you know, and, and she, yeah. You know, she cooked. I was, I was just a bait. I was an idiot. I, was a <laughs> I just was trying to avoid the world. And yeah, so she took enough. me in and I lived in Nashville. And luckily I got a job at the children's museum there. Children's discovery center. It was called at the time. I don't know what it's called now, but it's still a kid's museum. It was a great job. I, I was, uh, I was a, um, you know, uh, exhibit designer and, uh, we even built this kitty playland fantasy world called Curiosity Corner, which is an odd kind of uh, origin story for Pee Wee's Playhouse in a way. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. I learned and I, uh, I learned about commercial art. I learned that, okay, okay, maybe I can make a living, you know, illustrating and doing this. I can apply, you know, I can use the commercial art skills because I could always draw. I was really good. <laughs> and really did, good <laughs> did you feel, um, cause I ended up going to graphic design and everybody said, as I was leaving art school, what a sellout I was to go and do design and oh, yeah. commercial stuff. Did you feel sellouty or were you like, who cares? I got to make money. I, know, I was desperate. Anything yeah. art related, I would jump on. And Same yeah, here. I learned graphic design there. Yeah. I learned, uh, I learned, um, exhibit design, three-dimensional I started getting more and more back into sculpture woodworking and uh also at the time I was still doing these puppet shows that I had started doing at MTSU which I loftily thought as as performance art you know and uh I would do them I would still do them because I I loved doing them they were fun and uh, we'd do them at parties and people would love it and I would get the best feedback so this was about 19, this was 1980 
And uh, I started, and the museum had the best dumpster in the world. I mean, they had <laughs> incredible materials that they would throw away, giant slabs of, giant sheets of foam core and big chunks of styrofoam, expensive stuff, you know. So I started upping my puppet show skills, too. I started building cooler puppet, show, puppet sets and stuff. All of that was just for fun. I had no aspiration. I thought, there's no way this is... This is just for fun. This is for me. I just I thought I'd never be in showbiz. So I, I lived there a year, and eventually uh, got a place of my own. I thought, well, I'm just going to stay here. And then uh, it's a complicated situation here. But I had a girlfriend who had gone off to graduate school in Syracuse. And I thought, well, and she was wanting me to come live with her in Syracuse. And I thought, eh. I'll try it. This is a long, I don't want to get into the personal part of it, but <laughs> she, uh, I went up there. I went up there after a year at the museum just to check it out. And then when I was there at Syracuse, I was so miserable. It's it's not a pleasant place. I'm sorry, Syracuse, but it's cold. It is yeah, cold. It, especially for somebody from the South. That's, oh, yeah. that's a bit of an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she uh, was originally from, uh, the north from Chicago and her, she had, she, we had traveled in upstate New York previous summer. So I was kind of used to that culture. But anyway, while I was in Syracuse, I thought, okay, I can't stay here. And the relationship was ending. I thought I'm going to move to New York just to, just as a wild hair, just as almost a moment's thing, just for escape. I wasn't planning on going to New York at all, but I was wow. like in the state so Might I, as well. <laughs> by this time, I'd also transitioned into drawing comics. I, I decided I was going to be a cartoonist because in that year, 1980, living in Nashville, I'd seen Raw Magazine that Art Spiegelman was doing in New York, and that really sparked my interest in cartooning again because I was a cartoonist when I was in junior high school. And I w- and I was that was my original aspirations, like most American kids. That's mm-hmm. what I thought an artist was was a cartoonist. And suddenly, I found myself drawn back into that world, especially discovering Raw magazine and underground comics. And so, I decided I was going to be a cartoonist. And Raw magazine was in New York, so one day I left Syracuse, went over to New York to check it out. Knew that Art Spiegelman taught at the School of Visual Arts, and I went in and found him and gave him a line of bullshit. (laughs) You know, I'm from Tennessee and I love your work and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I did, but you know, uh, I was, I was hustling. I was desperate to get a Syracuse. He goes, well, why don't you just come sit in on my class? I thought, Oh, I'm in, this is it. I've been accepted into the New York art world, which was not true. (laughs) Just on that suggestion, though, that gave me enough gumption to move to New York City. Luckily for me, a guy in Syracuse had a sublet apartment that was available in the West Village, and I took it, and I moved there. Oh, my God. In 1981, just because Art Spiegelman said, sit in on my class. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know anybody? Like, anybody from art school was there or anything? No, No. nobody. I was 23, and... uh, I was from again naive and had a silly romantic spirit about it all. I 
always wanted to. I saw myself as the on the hero's journey, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I always had that kind of dumbass, grandiose vision of myself, and it was fun. I, I took it as a challenge. I was twenty three and single, and no, no, you know, I, I knew instinctively it was now or never. Yeah, and uh, so I toughed it out there. I went to his class, flunked out of the class because <laughs> I didn't do the final project. Worked as a really, uh, really hard job as a short order cook on the Empire Diner on 10th Avenue and uh, just tried to keep drawing. And and it was really uh, a struggle. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Wayne. How long, like, okay, so then what was the big thing that, like, how long were you a short order cook? I was a short order cook for a year. And That's not bad. No, I would quit and come back to. I would quit for a couple of weeks, and I was pretty good though. Plus, I was the only guy who had worked the graveyard shift all night long, over on Tenth Avenue, serving up omelets to all the creatures of the night. That's um, a comic right there. Did you ever draw anything? That I drew you were- a comic. I never got it published. It was only in my sketchbook back then. I would start a million things and never finish them because I because you're twenty three. Yeah, I was yeah. 23 and unfocused, but I kept at it. I would, uh, thankfully, I would go back to Nashville for a month at a time and get pick up some freelance work at the museums. They were kind enough to give me work still, and I'd go back there for uh, three weeks or so and replenish. And every time I'd go back, I'd go, I'm not going back. This is it. I'm just going to be a Southerner and live in Nashville. Nashville's cool. And then I would just, I don't know, something always, I'd get up back on that Greyhound bus and go right back up there. But that went on for three and a half, almost four years. And uh, slowly, I slowly, uh, I guess my first break was getting my comic strip in the East Village Eye, which was the local downtown newspaper there. Mm-hmm. I had a thing called this car. That was the turning point for me. And that's, where I first got into print in New York and it was a very hip paper and there was some really good artists in there with me. I started meeting them. One thing led to another. I started getting illustration work because that's how you really made money selling illustrations to magazines. Yeah. And then uh, through that crowd, I met my wife, Mimi. I was just going to say, is that how you met Mimi? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Through that, through getting in the East Village Eye and getting my foot in the door and I uh, started, uh, you know, meeting other artists and they would know them to work because it was in print. You know, that's everything, you know, yeah. just in print. And, uh, of course, it was a time of magazines and newspapers, too, and they were important. Yeah. But they are now. So uh, it was easier to get attention, I think, back then because you only had a few media. The media was simpler set up. Right. If you got into X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah people's attention was focused more than it's still now. It's just the infinite sea. Yeah. No kidding. It's good and bad, but, um, yeah, actually, and I, and I was still doing those puppet shows. I was, I, I took it with me to New York and I was still doing them at house parties and stuff. And that's how I met Mimi at, a uh, one of my illustration buddies brought Mimi to the puppet show. I did at a Lori side gallery. And that's where, that's where we met. 
And did she think you were a hero or an idiot? An idiot. (laughs) (laughs) She loved the puppet show. And I was super impressed that she loved it because, of course, I knew her work. She was already well known by then. Yeah, I was going to say she was already kind of established. Oh, yeah. yeah, She she was a star. She already had a best-selling book, uh, Valley Girl's Guide to Life. She was the queen of the village voice. Her work was all over that thing. And I and I religiously read the Village Voice because that's where all the best illustrators and cartoonists were. And eventually, I got to get in there, and that was a big milestone. So, after almost four years of struggling, I finally got a, my foot in the door and uh, worked for about a year as a cartoonist and illustrator. And uh, Mimi and I moved in together and. I thought, well, you know, this this is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna work in magazines, and uh, and then my buddy, my friend Allison, back in Nashville, got a job at. Um, she was I used to work with her at the museum. She got a new job at the local PBS station. They needed a kid show, and she said, "Why don't you show me your puppet shows?" I thought, "Oh yeah, right. That's gonna go over big. My punk rock puppet shows." <laughs> But I, I did. I had a big old three-quarter videotape of them, you know. And, uh, ba- I mean, this is the worst video imaginable. You know, these hour-long puppet shows. You can barely hear the dialogue, you know, not edited. Probably not appropriate for children, I'm guessing. Not appropriate for children. <laughs> Heavily on decapitation and intestines and stuff. But luckily for me, there was a young guy there, Steve Capels at the Channel 8 station. And he was a young, wild guy, very open-minded, knew all about art. He hired me, and I went back down to Nashville in the fall of 85, and I built the hell out of the show, the puppets and the sets. And I knew it was my big chance to go pro with this puppet thing, and I really did love it. I loved making puppets and making well, sets. That's the thing so cool about it is that you, you never did it as, like, starting in college like you never did it to do anything except have fun yeah yeah it was all about fun it was all about fun and it was it was it was also it was fun because it brought together everything sculpture painting performance storytelling Mm -hmm. cartooning it was all in there and uh uh and also back to the sculpture thing you know i never i was kind of the museum got me making sculptures again. And also the artist Red Grooms got me making sculptures again because I worked briefly for Red when I first moved to New York uh, as an assistant. And he got me going with the hot glue gun. Mm. I never had used that before. It was really kind of sort of newish in 1980, 1981. And, that, and, and of course, I've used uh, a mountain of hot glue sticks since then. <laughs> I love paper sculpture. And I, I make paper puppets like that. Anyway, um, did this show in Nashville in fall of 85. Winter of 86, I moved back to New York with this portfolio that I'd done in Nashville. And I took it to a place called Broadcast Arts because I heard they were going to do a TV show with Pee Wee Herman. Showed them my Mrs. Kebabble's Caboose portfolio. And <laughs> <laughs> they hired me. They hired me to work on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And that was that was again, a Miss Stoddard moment. That's yeah. sky opened up again for me. And that was, you know, that was just 
phenomena, and I got to ride along. When and that, that all started, when Pee-Wee's Playhouse started, and you're building all that stuff, and, like, it was so crazy. Were you thinking, oh, this is going to be huge, or were you thinking this is going to be a blip, or what, like, could you have, like, what did you think? Because it's huge. Like, it's still, like, my son is 13, and, like, it's coming back. Like, everybody's watching it again. Well, Pee-Wee was huge already. He was a big star. He was riding a lot of fame from Pee-Wee's Big Adventure movie, Tim Burton's movie. So I he was I, I knew it was hot property. I knew it was going to be cool. I didn't quite anticipate how big the playhouse would become. Yeah. Nobody, you can't you can't foresee that kind of thing. No. It was but, it was I I mean I have my friend Melanie Germain and I watched it religiously all through like you know junior high and high school and we knew all the voices and everything. and so it's just so surreal to me that you were there and like a huge creative voice in so many like so many aspects of that show well yeah, that was my big big uh, that's probably my biggest break Wee's. that's probably why i'm sitting here talking to you uh, <laughs> i wouldn't talk to you otherwise I know you wouldn't yeah. want to have anything to do with nope. a loser painter from Nashville. That's right. Uh, uh, were you were you kind of pinching yourself during how many years was that that you worked on that? Started in uh, started in the spring of '86, and we uh, premiered it at September of '86. The show we worked on it all through the spring and summer, and then it lasted four seasons. And it ended in 1990. Mm-hmm. And I was a set designer. And I was also the puppet guy. I, did, I designed and built most of the puppets. And I was a puppeteer, Randy, Dirty Dog, Mr. Kite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, yeah, it was, um, I, you know, it's cliche, but it was it was just kind of a magic thing, really. Yeah. And well, I, I, I appreciated the magic more and more after working on other shows it that's that just doesn't happen yeah I've I've had lots of tv experience and I realized both uh happily and unhappily that that doesn't happen yeah (laughs) the the, yeah the stars don't always align like that because after that um I totally feel like a stalker because I know all of this stuff already but um didn't you like after that I don't wasn't during peewees but you got super super burnt out weren't you doing your own animated something, something. Oh, well, that came later. That um, I did get burned out on show business later. Yeah, that was, that was about ten years later. Oh, okay. I came out of the gate like just burning up with the playhouse, and I was ready to, I was ready to just you know go to town, and I, I and I had a good streak there, you know, did PB's Playhouse, did Big Time with uh, Big Time Video with Peter Gabriel. Yeah, didn't you win a something fancy with that? Uh, well, uh, let me get to the fancy stuff later. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, won a bill, I won a stupid billboard award or something for big time. But um, and then I did Shining Time Station with Ringo Starr and over at PBS. And then I did a couple of flops. And then I had a nice four-year run with uh, Beekman's World at CBS. Oh. That's where I did my animation. And that's where I started. 
that's where I started doing animation. That's what burned me out was doing my one man animation studio. Oh. <laughs> Not a good idea. That burns I, me out just thinking about that. Oh yeah, I was working on the computer, and I loved doing it. And it was almost like it was like some kind of artistic heroin for me. I just could not stop. I just had to have my animation. I had to see this drawing come to life, make it come to life. <laughs> Six hours later, not lively enough. I was just, I was really addicted to that sensation of seeing my drawings come alive. Plus, it was just like the puppet show, too. It brought together everything, performance and storytelling. What were you animating with? Like, were you, you were doing, like, the traditional, like, I was using the funkiest, on, on Beekman's World, I was using uh, an Amiga, a Commodore Amiga, and I was using a program called Deluxe Paint 4. Oh, and then boy. I switched to this completely obscure program on a PC called Aura, A-U-R-A. And, um, yeah, I don't want to get into all the technical things, but it was very crude, but I made it work for me. It's and like you, playing a cheap electric guitar, you know. You can get some nice sounds from the cheapest instruments sometimes. Did you guys have kids yet at this stage? Uh, we had kids right after our peewee. Oh, okay. Our, our first son was born in 92, and then our daughter was born in 95. So, yeah, I was making a good living. We moved to – we lived in New York, but we moved to L.A. because of peewee, and I was like – doing a regular kid show art director gig and getting, and then I did the Smashing Pumpkins video. That's where I won the big awards. Oh, okay. The, the MTV award for that. Um, I was, you know, I was making a good living as an art director. I never could smash through the ceiling to be a director though. I, I don't know why. I uh, Did you want I just, to? I didn't really want to. I thought I did because that's the prince of the realm, the director. Right, and if you're a competitive guy, yeah, I know. Yeah, and I was tired of standing around on sets watching the director and producer whisper to each other while I'm standing there with my hat, man. You know, <laughs> I hated that shit. <laughs> and but, during during all of that, um, I mean, were you making any artwork for yourself? Yeah. Oh, you were. I kept painting. I uh, I went back to painting. I tried to get back seriously about 1990 when we first moved to LA. And oddly enough, I decided I wanted to do like super realistic, traditional 19th century oil painting, especially history painting. Because hmm. I loved history growing up as a kid. That was always my thing. Loved the fantasy of the past and the romance of it and stuff. And plus, I always liked Thomas Aikens and Winslow Homer and mm -hmm. the American uh, Hudson River School and all that stuff. I loved all that. So I, uh, again, naively, oh, there's a lot of naive. <laughs> I naively thought, well, I'm going to become one of those guys. I'm going to start painting like that and blow everybody's mind, you know, because they think I'm Mr. Peavey. Yeah. And, you know, that whole lowbrow pop surrealism thing was had really kicked in by then. And I thought, eh. I'm tired of doing that on TV. I want to. I want to do something different. It's something that kind of reflects who I am, no matter how odd it is. So I started doing these Civil War paintings and Revolutionary War paintings. And oh my Steamboat. god, I had no idea. Yeah, there's a there's a few of them in the book. Steamboat coming down the river, that kind of thing. Realistic too, as realist as I could get it. Not not ironic either, you know. 
um, real earnest, straightforward light, as good as I could get it. That I, I did a few okay things, and uh, it must so, have been such a nice break for your brain. It was. It yeah. was like the 180 from what I was doing on TV. Yeah. What I was expected to do is Mr. Pee Wee, and that sort of that kind of helped me land that uh, Smashing Pumpkins gig, that Tonight Tonight video. Mm -hmm. Cause I could, I could do that old Tommy stuff, you know, right. do that, do that uh, pastiche of that, of that turn of the century, Victorian look kind of thing. Wow. So uh, that, that eventually morphed into these word paintings that most, a lot of people know me for. Um, yeah. And so how did you, when you, so you're doing the, the historical ones, did you try putting your words on there I first? I did. Okay. Because I kept having, I was a, I was a sign painter, uh, off and on, all through high school and college, and of course, cartooning has a lot to do with typography. I love, always love typography. Just Me too. As, just as yeah, the form is beautiful, and I've always been a frustrated writer too, and I, I've always was interested in text and paintings, and so I, I start and and the plus. I was getting a little more surreal with these history paintings. I was putting wolf men in them and stuff. <laughs> but this was all like in the burgeoning days of steampunk. I, I kind of feel like I helped kick that off with that Tonight Tonight video in a way. And yeah, I was that always, was a beautiful video. I was always a huge Jules Verne fan as a kid. I always loved that so-called steampunk look. But uh, I hate even calling it steampunk you know, 19th century science fiction. Yeah. But, um, what was I saying? Uh, uh, putting text into your oh, pieces. Yeah. So I put text, I painted a few realistic forest scenes on my own and put the text into that. And, I, and it was all right. But I had some thrift store lit landscape reproductions sitting around and I was going to use the frames. And, uh, and then I, at the last minute I thought, why don't I just experiment and paint these letters into the, found uh, litho you know this found uh, landscape reproduction and that was again just a, a moment's whim and here i am later 20 years later <laughs> <Still doing them. laughs> yeah or do you still enjoy them i do i take a break yeah from i was them. gonna say i know uh, you took a break for a bit i still yeah because you know they're writing you, you can never if you enjoy writing uh you're never going to exhaust that so that keeps it fresh. Yeah, and you're never uh, going to not find those in thrift shops. <laughs> that's true. And uh, although I did take a break from my last show, I did the I went back to good old fashioned oil on canvas, and I painted my own skies. I know. I have that written down that. to talk to you about because I saw you know I obviously following along and um joshua all the shows you have at joshua liner are so great and i i saw he put out a thing promoting it and i was like wait those don't look like found those <laughs> look like homemade clouds that and, was the old-fashioned way yeah yeah that's right they're stunning and so was it kind of fun and exciting to paint the entire canvas yourself oh yeah yeah it was fun i mean it was hard work as always but it was fun to change and I get a, I get sick of those thrift store paintings, you know, um, um, and I, I wanted to show people that you know, I wasn't dependent on them. Right. Uh, 
but that wasn't my main motivation. I just love to paint clouds. I think clouds, flesh, and water are the three tests of the painter. You know, mm-hmm. those are the three glorious textures that that uh, the reason oil paint was invented. You know, <laughs> and if you can pull it off, you win. I- well, it's a beautiful effect if you can get it right. And I'm not bragging or nothing, but I have a touch with clouds, I think. Uh, yeah, you do. The secret with clouds is to make them look like they're going to change in a second. Hmm. You know, you got to put it on there and make it look like it's in transition somehow. And that's the, I mean, that conceptualizes it in words, but that's sort of the weird ephemeral feeling that you have to get with a cloud you know Hmm. i think that's a it's almost like a zen thing or something i don't know yeah that's totally true because when you know when you're taking well here's a true with water too yeah because you can never capture it exactly because it's going to change in a second like when you're taking if there's an amazing um sunset you know and you take a picture and you're like wow and then 10 seconds later it's better and you're like oh my god i gotta take another picture (laughs) yeah And then it changes and then again. Of course, your 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 puny uh, camera eye can't capture yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, did but, you um, do you take photographs of or do yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. I take a lot of photographs of skies and, and use them as reference. Yeah, definitely. I don't. Yeah, that's primarily how I came up with all those, just from photographs. And then I know but, you get asked this all the time, but. Um, where do your words come from? They're either things that pop into your head or do you overhear them or? Just like any writer, there are things that pop in my head. I overhear them. Uh, I rare, I never lift anything. Uh, I don't quote other things. I always try to be original. Although I use, you know, tropes like fuck you and stuff. But, um, Here's yeah, one. I, Here's one that I want to know where it came from. Fishing with Santa Claus in heaven. <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I was just thinking of uh, the uh, the the confusion between religion and Santa Claus around Christmas time. You know, and the idea of Santa and God. You know, magical thinking, and I don't know. It, and so when that pops of, into your head, you just explain it kind of like the, it, it evaporates when you explain it. It, it kind of does, but it's so awesome because I had to, for those the newest pieces, like some of the text is really small, which is great and different than you've done before. So you have to really like get in there and look at what it says. And so I got in there and looked and I was like, oh my God. So I wrote that down. I'm like, I got to ask him about that. But when these things just pop into your head, do you just have a little notebook where you keep oh, everything? Yeah. yeah. I have a, I have a I have notebooks all everywhere, and uh, I keep a journal of nothing but text. And you know, I I, I see them as poems. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, or very short prose, uh, especially mixed I, with clouds. Yeah, and it's they're always accessible at some level. Um, I used to love in high school. I used to love Richard Brodigan. He was the, he was my introduction to poetry, and since then I've read poetry, and um, I, I like the uh, metaphors of poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, well, you I know, feel like an idiot talking about poetry, though. I, even even to say that word poetry, you know, puts me in a. I'm stepping into a critical world that I don't know much about, but I do I do love a, a good metaphor or just display yeah. meaning. You know, the whole yeah. poetic. Well, and clever, clever wordplay. You're a bit of a master with clever wordplay. Yeah, and it's not, and, and everybody would go, oh, Richard Brodigan, that's low level, that's adolescent stuff, you know. But he's good, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I used to really like him, and he was a big influence. From the, he, he, he helped me think in a different way. He helped me, um, uh, I think most artists have this synesthesia thing, you know, where they yeah. can smell a shape and taste the color. Yeah. He, that's where I, his poetry opened that possibility of the world up to me, you know? Mm. See, and that's poetic right there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do you, um, what was I going to ask you? Poetry? Uh, um, I can't Writing. Remember. Writing. <laughs> it was going to be awesome. This is going to be the best question I had so far. I don't know. But I was going to say, speaking of writing things down, um, we have somebody in common. Do you, you know um, Esther Pearl Watson and um, Mark Todd? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're good friends of mine, and um, I just had Esther on, and we actually just did a live um, Instagram live painting session together. So I was working on my stuff, and then on the other screen, she was working on her stuff, and then people could just watch. It was mm-hmm. really weird. Yet another coronavirus, um, <laughs> you know, development. Anyway, um, she said that she's been feeling, it's funny, she's been painting a ton of clouds, like just open landscape, but with clouds, because she doesn't, she's like, I feel like a deer in headlights right now. Like she's like, I know I'm supposed to be creative, but I can't think of what to do. So she's been making these empty landscapes just with clouds. And she's like, I guess I'll fill them up with stuff one day, but I don't really know. And so then the next time I talked to her, she said what she started doing is writing down, she's got little slips of paper everywhere. And she's been writing down observations of just things that have happened. Like um, her mom, her mom said something about, um, Esther had given her a mask to wear because she's in a um, like an assisted living facility. And so she gave her a mask to wear to keep her safe. And she said, oh, I threw that away because um, Trump says he's not going to wear one, so I don't have to wear one either. Wow. So she wrote that down, and now there's a painting titled that. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just been – that's how she's been documenting this time. And she's actually now become super prolific because she's like, if, really, if you pay attention, there's so much – material so she's just been doing that and it's been really helping and um i know you write everything down have you been like taking in any of this insanity or are you trying to block it out well like everybody i follow the news and worrying and you know i'm i'm in the same boat as everybody else and i worry about the world and where we're headed i've not been directly um commenting on on the the pandemic in my work although my first puppet show on instagram sort of did it was a six-foot joke but yeah (laughs) but i haven't been making it the topic uh directly although i guess maybe some kind of themes seep in there i don't know yeah i've been kind of trying to avoid it yeah i don't work topically anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, i never really have are you feeling, because um, I know a lot, like at the beginning of all this, when I thought we'd just be all locked away for a couple of weeks, 
I started this thing on Instagram with like a 30 day art quarantine. Like let's use these, you know, two weeks to 30 days to like make something every day. And now it's like, Oh God. And, and I, like a lot of people are just feeling like this is just one, like they can't make anything. They're overwhelmed or whatever is happening. Are you feeling like, are you feeling like that? Or are you, are you still making or what do you feel like right now? I certainly understand the lethar- lethargic yeah. attitude, the fog that you kind of find yourself in just because of the unreality of it all. Yeah. I tend to really, uh, to, there's no anchor anymore in a way. I don't know what that means, but um, no, I'm very productive. Oh, that's you know? good. I'm not going to, that's just me. I mean, I work at home anyway. Yeah. I'm, isolated in my studio always and uh i uh i'm and mimi too mimi's working on her on her new graphic novel about the midford sisters and we're both working away we we both have a you know strong work thing so yeah yeah and i definitely and of course i use work as just to keep my mind off things and uh helps me focus and it's what I do. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to have my own thing. We're very lucky. I see everybody else kind of lost because their lives are tied up in a institution of some kind. And I'm, I'm lucky to, you know, just keep going. Yeah. Idiot in my workshop, banging away. (laughs) Well, speaking of your workshop, um, I was so, this is why I called you. I tried and leave you alone. I'd have you on the podcast every 10 minutes if I could, but, um, I saw the puppet shows on Instagram and I was like, all right, <laughs> five year height. It's time to get them back on here. Why did you decide to start doing them? Yeah, that's my new thing. They're awesome. Thanks. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while, for a few years now, just kind of make my own puppet shows again because yeah. I really haven't done it. I've done it commercially for other people, but I haven't really mounted my own puppet show since probably 2011 when I did this thing called Rebel versus Yankee in the gallery. And it was, it was really dumb. It was just pure violence. There wasn't much to it. It's an excuse to, to, uh, I don't know, just to build a puppet stage really. Uh, but this is the, uh, this is really the first real involved puppet show I've done since those pre-peewee days and uh and now this just seemed a good time to go back to it yeah Plus i've always i've always used the puppet show thing as kind of a a coping device you know i i, I started doing them in it in, in tennessee it's an art school when i was unhappy with art school and it all seemed to drag and there was nothing exciting doing the shows got me excited about art again Plus, um, and so, and that kind of gave me a, it, it just gave me a boost. Yeah. And I would just, and I kept doing them because they were always the most fun. Yeah. It entertained you too. Entertained me. Yeah. And it was a cope. And then I did them when I first moved to New York again as a coping device. Here's my little thing. Here's my little defense against the world. You know, a, a puppet stage is practically like a fort. You know, you're in your little fort with your men and you. <laughs> and, uh, so it, it was. It's strangely a coping device, and uh, 
here I am again using it kind of in the same way. I, I'm using it to help me cope with the world shutting down. Yeah. Um, and I'm using it to communicate and keep in touch with the world. And I'm no uh, altruistic kind of guy or anything. I mean, I do it for myself, but I'm also happy to entertain people and make maybe, you know, make this a little easier to get through somehow. Give yeah. them something, you know. Mm -hmm. I feel like that too. Like a, at the beginning, of, I was just sort of, um, I took a break from the podcast for about a year because my dad died really suddenly and I just yeah. did not have it in me to, I just didn't give a shit about anything. <laughs> like, I, I don't care. I can't. I I can't. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, I took almost a year off and then once I started again, it's been really good and then all this happened and I kind of have that lethargic like overwhelmed I know I have a 13 year old at home who's doing online oh, learning and it's that that's, super overwhelming and that is very overwhelming yeah and so you know and I feel responsible for him but then yeah. I also feel responsible for um like I've I've been doing this for 11 years now the Jaws curator and then the podcast for like four years and I feel like a responsibility to the community that I've made because I love them and they love me and they're a lot of them emailed me and said can you please not stop with the podcast because it's my lifeline to art right now and um so That's I feel great. like a responsibility and I'm happy to do it because you know if again like you said like if if in this time of weirdness, if you can make people feel a little lighter or think about something else for a bit or laugh, then great. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, it's a two way street. Yeah. You, know, you, you give them something and they give it back. Yeah, totally. And so what's the response you've been getting from the puppet show? Wonderful, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. I mean, that's what I love too. I love getting it back. Yeah. Um, Get that ray of light on your head. Yes. <laughs> those clouds open up again yeah. and so <laughs> do you I'm gonna guess the answer is no but like do you have a plan like are you like I'm gonna do 20 episodes or are you just like I'm just gonna do them when I have an idea I've been trying to do them one a week it's more like a week and three days kind of deal you know are but you I'm building like all new stuff every, for everyone yeah everything I'm a one-man production but you're not that. using stuff that you've got like you're no. actually building everything new every I'm time building, that's what i knew it i'm building everything from scratch and uh, that's it it's a full-time job and i've kind of put everything else on <laughs> hold because i'm loving it so much at the same time it's very hard work and uh i'm having this vision though and uh i'm seeing like i'm thinking about maybe getting back into showbiz with this. Well, that's what I was wondering. I was like, yeah. I wonder if this is going to turn into something else. You know, I'm, it's going to be either do or die with this. I'm not going to be like I was when I was younger when I had an idea and then and somebody goes, well, what if all the, the bear was a cat? And right. No, it's, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. And if, if somebody wants it, great. And if they don't, fine. But right. I'm gonna give it one. I'm gonna give it another shot uh, with the, what I'm doing now with these Instagram puppet things, and uh, we'll see where that goes. I am so excited to hear that. That's exactly what I was hoping. But then I was like, no, if it's just a creative outlet, I'm not gonna <laughs> ask that question. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it too much. But no, but you I know really what I have, think? It's I, in the last month. I really have had a new vision about it. Yeah. And, uh, 
Well, you can feel it. You can, oh, you can totally feel it. And that's why I was like, bah, email, you want to come on the podcast? Because I just thought, um, well, it's interesting, that, like telling your whole story, um, those puppet shows are where all of your sparks of joy and all of, you know, it's where all of the things happen. And I just love that you've gone back, that you brought it back and you're bringing it back exactly like you said, like your way. Yeah. Yeah. It, they, they're like, they're like Taliesin's magic voodoo dolls for me or something. Yeah. They all, all the, all the, all the fantastic action in my life has been related to them somehow. TV yeah. and then uh, coming to New York and, you know, it's, I, Mrs. I just, Kabobble. Uh, no, what's her name? Mrs. It's just Kabobble's Caboose, yeah. Playhouse, <laughs> all the homemade shows. And that's how I met my wife. And they're a, they're a thing in my life. I, I it's a mystery, uh, but I, I'm drawn to them and I, I really am having a vision about them now. I, I know that sounds corny, but I really am. No, I think it's so great. And um, I love it. Like, you know, it's, it's really cool because it's, not a lot of people are doing puppet shows. Well, not. I don't think anybody does a puppet show like I do. <laughs> I don't think so either. And, uh, you know, I just love looking at them. You instantly know it's you. Um, I love that Mimi did a great job as the bear arms. Yes. Mimi, I, I, <laughs> I build, I do everything, but I have to have a second pair of hands for the performance. <laughs> and is she, is she like, look, I'm trying to finish my book, like leave me alone? <laughs> uh, she's a pretty good sport. It only takes about 30 minutes to shoot like several takes. You know, they're only a minute long, but boy, they're hard to do. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, the pressure of, of getting it right on cameras is, is nerve wracking. Well, and, and of course I'm a, I'm very neurotic about shooting. <laughs> more bear arm, more, I'm going to need yeah, more claw, really more claw. <laughs> I really have to be on my best behavior while we're shooting because I can get to be a real whiny idiot. <laughs> Stop it. I told you. you, you what did I just say? <laughs> Shut up. I'm doing, you know. That would be funny just to record the behind the scenes of oh, YouTube. Oh, God. That would be a, it's probably funnier than the puppet show. <laughs> um, I really want to have Mimi. Do you think Mimi would ever come on the podcast? She, I, I bet she would. I really want to ask her, but I'm really shy. I'll Will you ask, ask her? her? <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> uh, no, I just think like people like you two and then Mark and Esther, there's, there's just these um, dynamo, you know, couples that I just look at and think, wow, like so much creativity coming out. of. And then your son, I've been following him too. Like, God, Yeah, Woodrow is an amazing artist. Is your daughter an artist too? So what's that? Is your daughter an artist too? Oh yeah, yeah. Lulu White is an amazing artist. She just graduated uh, uh, from Cooper Union about a year oh. and a half ago. Yeah, and she's an incredible artist, a sculptor. In yeah. fact, she is working on a project with me right now. I'm doing a real fly-by-night cheapo uh, video for these this indie band, and uh, I told him, you know, it's all it's just my iPhone camera and they go, well, just give us whatever. So, <laughs> uh, me and her are doing some, uh, uh, collaborative puppet thing. Wow. That is yeah. so cool. Well, I was saying to Mark and Esther, cause Lily is now in art school and she's 
amazing. And uh, I said, imagine like if she had like loved math. Yeah. <laughs> like if you had Amy to. and I often wonder what would happen. Both of our kids would just have the, the, the habit going on. But yeah, what would that have been like? Yeah. <laughs> it would have been fine. You know, yeah, it would have been absolutely fine. But it's just so, it's kind of perfect that you guys are just like this powerhouse of creativity. It's really, really cool. And I, I love that you're doing the puppet shows, that she's in there, that Mimi's there too. And yes, please ask her if she'll come and do this. I will. Okay. And, no and Woodrow, Woodrow just finished uh, uh, illustrating a book by Dave Eggers, a kid's book by Dave Eggers. Oh. Yeah. It'll be out in the fall. So, so. great. And where are they? Are they both in L.A.? Or no, no, Cooper? Woody's in L.A. Yeah. Over in East L.A. And Lulu is in Queens. Yeah. Yeah. Will she come she, back to LA? Do you think, or is she going to stay? Eventually, I think I think she wants to come back to yeah. LA. Yeah. She's an LA girl. Yeah, it's pretty. LA is my favorite American city. Whenever I travel for stuff, LA is always the first place I book because <laughs> it's my, just my favorite place to go. Well, I've been here since 1990, and yeah. both my kids were raised here. Um, I love I love my house. I love my neighborhood. That's good. You're tucked away in there. It's a good thing I you have. like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, lucky to be in this house right now. Are, is that that's still the house that was in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The same. The younger studio is so awesome. So filled with everything. Um, so, okay. So um, my last question is always what's next for you, but I guess that is puppet show land. Puppet shows. Yeah. Puppets. Yeah. I'll, I'll never stop painting and drawing, of course. Oh, so speaking of which, somebody asked me, because on Instagram I said, you guys have questions for Wayne. Somebody said, how and why did you discover that you could draw with both hands at the same time? I can't. That was just <laughs> a stupid stunt. I can't draw with both hands. I, I, I wanted to try finally try out my time lapse, you know, which I'd never tried before on the camera, you know. And uh, so that was just a, that was just a, like this second attempt at time lapse just a little experiment and i wanted to do something different so i just brought in both hands but it gave me an idea for a puppet show so that's good <laughs> there you go see you know thank you um isolation making us all figure out all these new <laughs> new technologies i don't know how to time, time lapse uh, well don't you do you have an iphone yeah of course. there's a little time lapse thing button on there oh like when you swipe, like how there's video, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Swipe, oh. you know, it says pano, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You eventually get over to time lapse. And oh. it's easy. You just push the button and it, and it uh, does that whole speed it up thing, you know. Okay, okay. Well, I figured, out, I figured out Instagram Live because Esther had done it with her sister. And then she did it with um, Bruce Webb. And I was jealous. <laughs> so I was oh. like, can I do it with you? And I, then I didn't know how to do it, but luckily. I'm shaking on all that stuff. I know, me too, but I'm slowly. But try, try, do a time lapse of, of you, you painting. It's fun. Okay. It's just push the button and that's all you do. Push the button. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. I'm so happy that you had an hour for me and I, I can't tell you how excited I am about the puppet show thing. And I just know I, the heavens are going to open again. There's going to be sunbeams <laughs> and I don't know, but I, I'm so happy to be um, asking you about it right off the bat. Kind of okay. makes me some sort of, you know, a pioneer type as well. <laughs> well, when the first season premieres, well, I'll come back. Okay. Deal. <laughs> deal. I'll take it. Um, okay. Well, enjoy your um, isolation. 
I will keep my eye on Instagram for more puppet shows. And uh, yeah, talk to Mimi. No pressure. And um, and then, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch with you guys. Okay. Thanks for having me. Yes, anytime. Thanks so much, Wayne. All right. See okay. you later. Bye. 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 Okay. How was my fangirling? I feel like I kept it in check a little more this time. Hopefully it won't be five more years until Wayne is back on the podcast. I'm thinking he will be back very soon when his puppet show finds its way back into showbiz. Oh, and guess what? Mimi said yes. I am so excited to finally talk to her. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much to Wayne for taking time out of his busy puppet making schedule for us. Thanks to the Thrive Network for not only supporting this episode, but for also everything they do for their community of artists. And of course, thank you so much for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.